As I mentioned in the time of announcements on Wednesday afternoon, our community and was certainly, and our nation certainly turned upside down as we witnessed the horror at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, which is just 19 miles west of here. Uh, this morning was supposed to be a new morning where I launched a new sermon series on the first, the letter of First John, and we will certainly get to that next week as we go through First John together. But I thought it would be only appropriate to address our cultural moment if we are going to be a church that truly believes in the reconciliation of people and the renewal of all things. And as Dr. Wright said in his prayer, that you are true, God is truly Lord of all, then what for the church? should be our response. How as a church and as believers in Jesus Christ respond to such tragedy. If you turn on the news for any period of time, the world is scrambling, scrambling for answers, scrambling to put the pieces together to try to make sense of such horrific events trying to figure out how and what is the right response and what is the right answer to this tragedy. You listen to the news for any period of time and you'll hear a myriad of answers and reasons and responses, ways in which things can be fixed. And unfortunately, none of them are conclusive. Certainly none of them are decisive. And most of all, none of them ultimately give us any hope in the midst of the storm. And so I thought for our time together this morning, I would like to look at Jesus and his response to death and to tragedy by looking at a passage that I'm sure is familiar to many of us, but it's the passage in John 11 where Jesus encounters death and Jesus encounters tragedy with the death of his friend Lazarus. And it's in John chapter 11 and we see the story of the death of Lazarus who was a friend of Jesus, who was a brother to Mary and Martha. Martha and Mary and Lazarus lived in a town called Bethany which was about two miles from Jerusalem. And as Mary and Martha are faced with the tragedy of suddenly losing their brother Lazarus, they have the same problem that we do this morning. They're looking at the tragedy and they're trying to make sense of it. They're looking at the tragedy and they're trying to fix the situation. They're scrambling for answers. They're scrambling for hope. They're scrambling for someone to help in the midst of death and chaos and tragedy, much like we are today and much like our nation is as we face this tragedy. So let's together look at the Gospel of John chapter 11, looking beginning with me at verse 20. Hear the word of God. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. 
Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled, and he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? And then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So then they took the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Amen. Where is God? If there is a God, how could this happen? If God is a loving God, then why would a loving God allow this to happen to such innocent boys and girls and such innocent men and women? They are the questions that have been asked for the last four days. They are the questions that are always asked in moments like this, and typically they're directed to the church. Questions like this are all far too common and normal. And unfortunately, the church doesn't always have the answer. Unfortunately, the church doesn't always have the answer for such deep and troubling and difficult questions such as these. But I think it's important for us as a church, if we are a church that is called to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world, to engage every realm of the kingdom of God for the glory of God, then we as a church 
must be moved and must be compelled and must be called to go out as agents of renewal and agents of grace must be prepared to give people a reason, as Peter says, for the hope that we have. And so briefly this morning, looking at how Jesus engaged death and dying and suffering and tragedy, such as the death of his friend Lazarus, I want us to look at what is the response of Jesus. Because in the end, if we are people that are called to follow Jesus, then really... It's only the response of Jesus in the face of death and dying and tragedy and suffering that is worth our attention this morning and worth emulating as we seek to minister to a world and to a community that is mourning and hurting. You see, it is Jesus who does not avoid the tragedy but it is Jesus himself that enters into the tragedy. It is Jesus himself, as we read this passage, who enters into suffering and death and dying. And as I said, if Jesus is God and God is perfect, then his response is the perfect response for us all in a world and a culture and a community this morning that is confused but longing for the right response So how does Jesus respond here in this story of the death of Lazarus? How does he respond to death? And how does he answer the darkness of tragedy and suffering and the brokenness of our world? The first thing that we see here in the story that we read together this morning is that Jesus' first response is a response with truth. He responds to death with truth. We see it in verse 23 through 26. Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, I know that he will rise in the resurrection. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. And whoever believes in me, though he dies, shall live again. Four months ago, when we lost our daughter, we were scrambling. But the only place that we could turn in the midst of the storm was turn to the truth of the Gospel. That one day, we will see Lily again. That one day, those that are found in Christ will be raised from the dead. That for those that have their hope and trust in Jesus Christ, they will be saved. And it was the truth that we leaned on and we continue to lean on even today. That is the very truth that Jesus gives to Mary and Martha in the midst of death and dying, in the midst of tragedy. And so first and foremost, a people that have been saved by the truth of the gospel, we must be people that do not, in the midst of tragedy and in the midst of dying and suffering, we must be a people that do not divert from the truth of the gospel. The people need to know that there is hope And that hope is grounded in the truth of Jesus Christ that whoever believes in Him will not die, but live forever. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus does not stand before Martha and Mary and simply say in this moment, 
that I am just a good comforter or I am just a good healer or I am just a good teacher. He does not just point them to resurrection. He boldly stands before them and says, I am resurrection. I am the life. He boldly proclaims to them that He is God. And in the midst of tragedy, we must be people that give people in love the truth of the Word of God and the truth that God is on His throne. And that while we scramble, God does not scramble. And that while we look for answers, that God is on His throne making all things new. He responds with truth. And we have an opportunity to give people the truth in love as they search for answers and how to deal with this tragedy. But Jesus not only gives them truth by proclaiming that He is God and that He is the resurrection and the life, but He also responds with tears. In verse 32 through 36, as Mary was weeping and the other Jews, it says, that were with Mary were weeping at the tomb of Lazarus, what does it say? It says in verse 33 that Jesus was deeply moved in His spirit and greatly troubled. And in verse 35, it says that Jesus wept. Jesus wept. J.I. Packer says that truth without tears is no truth at all. Truth without tears is not truth that's worth listening to. That we must be people that respond not only to tragedy like this with truth, but it must be truth with tears streaming down our face. That the world needs to see our tears in the face of brokenness. The world needs to see, this community needs to see a church that mourns with those who mourn and weep with those who weep. Now it's always struck me and I've mentioned this before, that Jesus weeps. And the reason that it is so striking is that Jesus, being God, knows the end of the story, doesn't He? Jesus knows that eventually, just in a few moments, He will do what? He will eventually raise Lazarus from the dead. And so Jesus would have had every right to say, there is no time for mourning. There is no time for crying. Because Jesus knew eventually what would happen. That Lazarus would eventually come out of the tomb. So why does Jesus bother? Why does Jesus bother entering into the morning? Why does He bother entering into the brokenness? It's because Jesus is perfect love. You see, Jesus is demonstrating perfect love. Although He knows the final outcome, although He knows the final outcome of what will eventually happen to Lazarus, he allows himself to be drawn in to the brokenness and the hurting, and he mourns with those who mourn and weeps with those who weep. And although we are people of truth who know what will happen on the final day, and we know the final result for those that are found in Christ, may we too, like Jesus, allow ourselves to enter into the darkness, allow ourselves to be brought into the suffering and brought into the brokenness and mourn with those who mourn and weep with those who weep. He's perfect and He's demonstrating perfect love. It's an amazing example of love. The most mature person who ever lived, Jesus Christ, allowing Himself to fall into grief with those who are mourning clearing up for all of us that crying and mourning and weeping is not a sign of weakness or immaturity, 
but actually Jesus shows his strength. Jesus shows his maturity, his perfect love. Truth without tears is not the ministry of Jesus. Jesus' ministry was truth with tears. Thirdly, not only does Jesus respond to tragedy with truth, does he respond with tears, but in verse 38, it says that he responds with anger. He responds with a, a righteous indignation, a righteous and holy anger. In verse 38, it says that Jesus was deeply moved again and came into the tomb and it was a cave and a stone laid against it. And Jesus said, take away the, the stone. The original Greek there for the phrase that he was deeply moved simply does not capture the original language. In fact, no English translation truly captures the emotion of Jesus in that moment in verse 38 when it says that Jesus approaches the tomb and he is deeply moved. The original Greek translation speaks to a, a demeanor and to a noise and to a, a, a approach of the tomb that was likened to a warrior or even to a wild animal. That the idea of Jesus approaching the tomb and him being deeply moved was like a wild animal or like a conquering warrior coming to the tomb in holy anger and righteous indignation, looking at what sin had done, looking at the result of sin, looking at what death had done to Lazarus and the result of sin and death. And with rage, Jesus approaches the tomb and it's as if he is saying, death, you have met your match. Death, you will not have final victory over my brother Lazarus. You will not have the final say. And so like Jesus, we can look at what happened this past week with righteous anger and righteous indignation and say in the face of evil and in the face of darkness that we as the people of God will not allow this to stand on our watch that the gates of hell will not prevail, that we are the people of light and truth that enter into the darkness with righteous indignation and a holy anger. As Jesus approaches the tomb, we approach the tomb of this world and the death in our culture, and we say not on our watch, that we will stand with truth and with tears, but with a righteous and a holy anger against the forces in the face of evil. And you see, it is in Jesus' response that we see the perfect balance of all of the normal emotions of a human being. And it's here that we see that Jesus truly is the perfect Son of God and that He is the perfect Counselor. For some of us, we will approach this with truth. For some of us, we approach this with tears. For some of this, we are mad, and rightfully so, and we approach this situation with anger. But it is Jesus in His perfection that shows us the perfect balance of truth, balanced with tears, balanced with anger, and this is why He is the perfect counselor and offers us the perfect response in the midst of tragedy. But you see, the story doesn't end here. Not only does Jesus approach the tomb, 
But as we read in verses 41 through 44, Jesus orders and demands that the stone be rolled away. And he calls a dead man back to life. And which tells us that Jesus is not only the perfect counselor, but he is the perfect one to bring about life out of death, that he is truly the resurrection and the life, and he raises Lazarus from the dead. But something very profound happens after that. After he calls Lazarus out of the tomb, and after Lazarus walks out of the grave, look at verse 53. We didn't read that together, but look at what it says in verse 53. It says, from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. You see, from that day on, once he raised Lazarus from the dead, Jesus from that day on would be a marked man. And Jesus did this knowing that he would be a marked man. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and called him out of the grave knowing that this would mean that his life was now at stake. But you see, it is that boldness. And knowing that Jesus did this, even knowing that it would, he would be sacrificing his own life, which gives us all the confidence in the world that Jesus is truly our only hope in life and in death. You see, what Jesus does by raising Lazarus from the dead is he interrupts Lazarus' funeral with his own And he brings Lazarus to life. And Jesus says, for the sake of my life, Lazarus lives and Jesus dies. You see, people often say in times of tragedy, I don't know if God cares about suffering. I don't know if God really cares if you would allow this to happen. Well, you know what? With any other religion in the world, I wouldn't know if God cares about suffering. But it is the truth of the Christian faith which gives me all the confidence in the world that this is the one message that I know without a shadow of a doubt that God does care about suffering because God allowed His only begotten Son to enter into the suffering on our behalf. The reason I know for sure that God cares about suffering today and it cares about the tragedy of Marjorie Stolman Douglas and the brokenness and suffering of our world is because we have a God that enters into the suffering and says, Lazarus lives and I die. A God that says, you live. You can take my life. My life for you. Only Christianity has a God that enters into the suffering and lays down his life in our place. Jesus in this moment not only models how to respond to death and suffering, but takes the tragedy of death and suffering upon himself. And there's no other story. There's no other religion. There's no other story. There's no other philosophy. There's no other worldview in the history of our world that has a story like this. A God who enters in, a God who enters in to the darkness of death and dying. There's an old Scottish fairy tale from the 19th century. It's a Cinderella type story. It's a story about a young girl who 
was enslaved by an evil woman and three evil daughters. And outside of the kingdom, there was a crown prince who went out to battle. And while the crown prince was out to battle, he kills a man unjustly. And after the battle, he notices that the blood of the man that he killed unjustly, the blood of the man is on his tunic. And the crown prince enters back into the kingdom and he washes his tunic day and night to remove the stain of the blood. But he can't remove the stain. And so he makes an announcement, a decree. And he says, if there's anyone that can remove the stain from my tunic, that person will be my true love. And so girl after girl lines up to take the tunic, to try to wash the tunic from the stain of the blood to no avail. But finally, the servant girl comes to the crown prince and she takes the tunic and she washes it and she removes the stain. And when the crown prince hears this good news, the crown prince goes to the servant girl, falls to his knees, and he says, you will be my bride and you will be my true love for you have removed the stain. You see, the one who can remove the stain, that's your true love. What a story. It's a fairy tale that seems too good to be true. But the good news for us this morning is that this is no fairy tale. Because of Jesus Christ, a story that seems too good to be true is true for us this morning. And the good news this morning is that there really is a one in light of death and darkness, in light of the stain of sin in this world and in this community this week, there is one and only one who has the power to remove the stain. And it's in verse 26 of this passage that we read in closing this morning that Jesus asked Martha the most important question that she could ever be asked. And it's this, do you believe? Martha, as you are scrambling for answers in the face of death and dying, I need to know, do you believe? Do you believe in a God that sent his only begotten son to live and to die on the cross for your sins and for your shame and for your guilt so that through faith in him you might live forever? Do you believe? And it was the most important question that Jesus could have asked Martha that day. And it's the most important question that I can ask you this morning. Because God stands through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And he asked you this morning, do you believe? Do you believe in the only hope in death and dying? Do you believe in the only one that in the midst of the storm can give you the hope of glory? That invitation is extended to you this morning. That in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of brokenness, that you can have the gift of eternal life today simply by believing. Jesus himself in this same gospel says, for God so loved. Does God love the world? Is there a God and does he love us? It says that God so loved the world 
that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall never die, but have eternal life. Jesus invites you to believe. The only hope in life and death, the only one that can remove the stain, the perfect one who in the midst of tragedy brings life out of death.